welcome to Third Focus. We are here today with Jeff Rutten, owner and proprietor of JT Ag Services in Ashburton in Canterbury, New Zealand, the South Island of New Zealand. And Jeff, um, welcome. I'm joined here uh, with Michael Smith, the sales manager for Toe and Furt. And we're here just to have a conversation uh, with Jeff around his contracting business, JT Ag Services. Um, Jeff runs, is it three Toe and Furt machines now uh, down here in Canterbury and uh, has been a bit of a pioneer as far as the uh, the testing and measuring uh, process goes for his clients. So Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Furt Focus. Um, as I mentioned, we're here today just to have a chat about sort of what you're doing, some of the things you're finding, how business is going and, and um, you know, the general market uh, in general. So. I guess the first place to start is um, you've got an interesting backstory in terms of how you ended up where you are today. Can you give us a quick overview of that and, and how you came to be owning three Tawanfurt 4000s and uh, contracting out to, uh, to lots of farmers around this area? Uh, started off with a Tawanfurt of our own on our own farm. Did that for a couple of years, uh, seen the results for ourselves, decided to get out of farming would be a short version of it and then bought the machine off the farm as we left and decided to go contracting with the first one and um, been doing it now for five or six years five five years doing the time for it and uh, yeah uh, all up until the 190 limit we've been running the one machine and once the 190 limit come we had a big influx of customers wanting to get under that 190 so uh, the time for it was one of those answers for them and we bought another two machines and have been running them or running all three machines this season so how's the 190 you mentioned that's obviously impacted in terms of your inquiry and been good for business how's that impacted farmers as far as um you know their businesses goes this year has been a shocking growing season um for all farms but um, I think the time for it, uh, when you're using it in, the, in a creek way and trying to help the farmers with the knowledge of having um, the experience doing it and trying to do fine particle all year round and um, a lot of the farmers that have been doing small amounts all year round of your yeah, full MPK and S instead of just putting on um, just your rear rounds uh, we've found a huge huge difference in the amount of growth that they've got and still yeah, the farmers just can't believe how much more grass they're growing out of doing little amounts all the time instead of just your ear. So when you say little amounts more often as a contractor how do you manage that for your clients um, you know in terms of how often you can get on farm and, and those sorts of things? I have to communicate with my staff quite a bit um, making sure that there's always product on farm and if there's not then I organise that myself between me and the farmer. Um, they place the orders where uh, we have had challenges with getting product on time so we've become a consignment store here now so we're holding our own product or, and product for customers and people that have their own time for it as well. And, and the advice of what products are easy um, to get through the time for it as well. And the good part is that we've tried being a contractor, it's got a fair few machines, tried a fair few products in that now and with the help of Michael and that have a few of them too. <laughs> and we seem to yeah, find the cost effective ones that have 
worked really well and able to offer a solution that gives the farmer the best option really. So you're becoming almost a one-stop shop in some ways for some farmers in terms of the product and the application. Yeah, trying to. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of the goal has been that one-stop shop for whether it's um, help, advice, or for for them to come and grab. Um, we're trying to trying to source product and hold hold it all here for time fit. So anyone with time fits around this area can even just ring up and order it from us or. And we can, we've got our own truck obviously now and able to deliver that out to farmers as well for them. So how do you do that and be competitive with the bigger guys who are you know, presumably driving around every single day delivering product to farm? Are you guys able to offer competitive rates on that front as well? So we are in the process at the moment of doing a consignment store through Ravensdown. So uh, the competitiveness of the pricing and that's all done through that so farmers aren't really having to change their user or anything like that um, and because we have got three machines I think Ravensdown has seen us as a little bit more um, as a little bit more seriously and gone right oh, there is something we can do with these guys they're, they're being quite good to us I don't know whether it's the way that we approach them or what it was but um, they've been quite willing to work with us and try and get this market out and trying to become a yeah, trying to become more user friendly for us with Timefit machines. So in terms of um, the Timefit machines and, and what you're using, you've got um, the three machines. You've also got a 1000. What 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 do you use that one for? So that one there is um, what we're sort of doing when we expand when we're trying to expand or get um, farms that are a bit further away trying to prove our concept and that to farmers that are a bit further away it's, we can't really justify driving the big machines there unless we've got a certain amount of hectares because fuel cost and that and running them um, so the idea of the little one is to drive that a little bit further go do a trial show them show farmers that it's working really well make sure they're happy with it and then once we've got more hectares or something in that area um, we'll bring the big machines in then and do it, but, uh, and also we're doing the odd lifestyle blocks and bits and pieces with it as well keep it a little bit busier and uh, yeah because every, even the little lifestyle blocks have someone that talks so um, getting the word out there is our biggest biggest thing that we're trying to do and uh, like we don't make money out of them but it's more about getting the word out and when you're going out onto farm Jeff and, and proving the concept and using your knowledge and stuff to to get people on board do you just want to explain the whole sort of testing regime you do and how you how you work out what you're going to do and put on their farm how you're going to measure it and how you report it back to them we've done a few different trials in different ways in the past in the past last year and before that we were just going on doing a load basically in the time fit which was three or four paddocks in the time for it and then we'd go measure those paddocks when they were grazed and then uh, at the same time do three or four paddocks of the that they were putting granular fertilizer on at the same time they were grazed go do a measurement of both lots um, and then come back and depending on their rounds um, just before they were grazed again measure them and then we would put that into a spreadsheet that I've got set up on my computer and work out the amount of days it had been 
and divided the growth um, between that between the amount of days to see how many what their average um, dry matter per day was growing and yeah always finding the liquid was outgrowing the um, granula would do that probably for two three weeks um, just continually doing a, um, things that wasn't showing so we were showing the farmer that it wasn't just a one-off thing that's going to happen once they're going to get a good amount of growth once and we were showing them like it's consistent we're doing that this year this year with one farm we've decided to do a big um, overall one and we continually did a full farm walk doing even paddocks and liquid and odd paddocks and granular um, and did that over two and a half months and d divided the, uh, went out basically once a week every week measured the grass showed, showed the um, and then divided the days and that between all of them again to get your kilos of dry matter average again and we averaged that out over the whole farm for the two and a half months when we averaged every single paddock out the difference was 40 kilos in the granular paddocks to the liquid paddocks were 80 kilos so that was applying the per day the fertilizer at the same rate but one in granular one in liquid yeah, same rate and yeah same same product we hadn't changed the product up or anything like that to try and get those results it's yeah just trying to keep everything and the product sort of things the same yes there are things that we can do to improve growth more again but we didn't with trials we didn't like try to do like for like trials so the costs are similar um and after that then we can when we start doing the rest of the farm we can discuss and help out with other other things that the farmer may want to improve so with doing your liquids have you the farmers that have come to you because of the 190 trial have you found it quite easy to help them achieve that when they've come from probably high 200s or even into 300 units yeah yeah we've got a, we've got a solution for everything to try and try and get under that 190 it's no problem at all we can uh if we if we threw everything at it we could probably get farmer down to 120 or so quite easily um in the first oh, in the first year dependent on whether they how high they were at the start but because if they're at 300 350 or something like that they might um need a bit more than one year to get down to that 120 or so but um but yeah the, if they were at the 350 300 would have them down under the 190 in the first year and so that, clearly sorry mike so clearly that's going to save them some money on urea but are there additional costs associated with other products that you're putting in to supplement um the drop-off in urea other products are generally just maintenance products that they're going and throwing a truck on okay. to throw a bulk amount on anyway so there's actually more savings involved in that as well because when you're putting small amount you're then once again only putting in what the plant's needing um, and putting little amounts more often so your utilization is higher again you're not going and throwing one dumping on and losing some of it so we generally can cut another five ten kilos of maintenance fertilizer out per hectare as well and all of that adds up especially the fert prices nowadays so your approach is more put on a 
feed the grass a balanced mix all year round yep. instead of just doing the traditional couple of dumps and pray that it gets through till you do it next time. Yep. And there's more, we're, we're following a lot of technology and scientists and that that are trying to work on new new ways of doing stuff as well. Um, it's, and it's all focused on making fertilizers more plant available, trialing a little bit of biology being mixed into it to start that conversion of urea. One of the things that's important to consider with foliar application is the impact of that on the soil. What is it that you sort of uh, have found out in terms of what's happening on farm and uh, what you're being advised through your various contacts uh, about the impact of foliar on the uh, soil long term? Yes, that is a big difference uh, between how farmers want to do things. Um, some farmers just, just do things the way that they've done them for years. The biggest thing that we generally find for a start is how compact the soils are. Canterbury's pretty bad for compact soils. Um, trying to work out a way of loosening that up um, for the farmer for a start so that biology has somewhere to live. Um, and then from there trying to add more biology and get the soil really providing its own source of nitrogen and living life in there to um because yeah, that is a big part of you we can get you under 190 by with just a foot but with to get lower than that you really need a source of nitrogen and that is all coming from healthy soil yep yeah uh, and Mike, your experience with farmers around the country in the Taunfert, um, you know, what, what can you add to that sort of question around uh, the impacts or the lack of impacts on um, the soil, as it were, in terms of the application through a foliar format? Yep, so same sort of things as what Jeff's just mentioned. So seeing a lot of compacted soils around, and once you go to a liquid fertiliser, because especially with a tow and fert where you can put multiple products and multiple things in, in one load, you can use biology and, and other things to help combat that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, most people that I deal with around the country, they buy a tow and fert for fertiliser use, but 12 months down the track they've, mm. they've totally not just using it for fertiliser. They're, they're starting to look after the soil, they're starting to get rid of weeds, they're starting to grow more grass at a lot less cost. Um, yeah, so it's, we see that all over the country. We see it in Australia and Ireland as well now. So. Yeah, and I can think of a, a couple of good examples, in, uh, one in Taranaki and one actually down this way, um, who have done just that with their, with their tar and fert machines. They start with the conventional 12, 18 months later, they've completely shifted to what is a what would once upon a time have been considered a witch's brew, but they are growing more grass than they've ever done. And that's testament to the products that they're putting on, isn't it? It's, um, it's not about necessarily the application method as much as it is that the tar and fert enables them to actually put all of those products on in one pass. So they're doing it efficiently and quickly. So Jeff, um, as far as your um, sort of business goes, where do you see your growth coming from um, in the future? You've, you've got three machines, you've obviously got your demonstration machine. So, you know, how does that sort of work? Generally word of mouth, so we don't know anyone's around unless they contact us or, um, or find out from someone that they're interested. So we have to try and look around. We talk to other people, farmers, neighbours, um, trying to find other work for keeping these machines busy and yeah, trying to pick up more work so we can expand a bit more too. So if I want a trial, what's the sort of process for, for you know, getting you out to do a trial for a, a farmer? Um, generally the, the thing to do is give me a call 
or uh, flick me a text or something um, and I will con make contact and we'll come out see you, show, show someone the trials that we have done um, on other people's places and then discuss doing a uh, trial on person's farm and the costs of, of it and what and basically what they've been doing and yeah how we would do it in a liquid. So as far as doing these trials your expectation based on the history of the trials that you've run would be what in general terms I guess? In expectations um, if we're putting the same amount of grass uh, same amount of um, vert on we'll grow more grass. Yep yeah nice no, that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Or we'll cut it back 40% and grow the same amount of grass. But generally when we do the trials, we like to say to people, we want to put on the same amount and really show you that it's grown more grass because when people see the same amount of grass by putting less on, they, they don't see that the results the same. Yeah. Yeah. And so with the 190 being around, a lot of people, or whatever they're doing on farm now, they're already trying to achieve 190. So if you can go in there and prove that you grow more mm. with the same amount of product, mm. well, it's just less broad and feed they have to spend. Mm. Yeah. Less supplement. Yeah. Which on the trial that we've just done for this year, over the three months um, for that farm, was a, uh, with that extra 40 or 35 kilos per hectare per day, um, that was averaged over the farm that would have saved the farm and there were about 150 grand in supplement. Wow. So Mike, if, if I'm a farmer and um, I'm growing like for like, I'm growing double the amount of dry matter, why would I cut back? Why would I, why would I want to grow less when I can grow more? Yeah, that's a question I get asked all the time. And there's two ways to look at it. Um, as, are you at the 190? And if you're not at the 190, the reason you need to cut back is to get there. Um, a lot of people, especially around mid-Canterbury and Southland, they're coming from over 300 units. Mm. Um, in the North Island, people listening to this will be blown away by that. They just can't, they can't get their head around it. But when you're paying for water, water's not cheap. So down in South Canterbury and Southland, people are way over 300 units. So to get to 190 in one hit, they're basically saving, say, use half of what you were. Um, and it's a hard struggle for them to get there because they have a system and a bank balance that's been created because of the storm they're in. Mm. Um, so those people then basically they have to save FERT. That's the only option they have is to save FERT to get to 190. And the other way to look at it is if you're at 190, do you want to save more FERT and spend more money on broad and feed? Or do you just want to grow as much grass as you want? Because it doesn't matter what happens to fertiliser price. Everything, if fertiliser goes up, so does all your broad and feed because the cost to grow barley, the cost to grow supplements, still needs fertiliser. Mm. So it all goes up comparable. So if you can grow the maximum amount of grass you can for 190 units, then you're saving on supplement, and supplement's always two to three times more expensive than growing grass. Mm. It's that, that pretty straightforward system sort of business case. And, and we've got farmers in Canterbury that are at the 190 growing more grass, and they are saving in excess of 100 grand a year. The biggest part about um Canterbury over maybe the North Island as well is because of the irrigation we don't really have a dry spell as such so we're always putting on the fur every round behind the cows where up north if you get a dry couple of months the granular fur's or fur's going to just sit on the ground and not do a lot of yeah. or you're held back by the weather a lot of the time yeah. maybe not this year but so if I want to go down to 120 then, or I go down lower than the 190, basically we're reducing, let's say, 40%, and we're going to grow the same amount, but we're still going to have to bring in the feed to supplement what we're growing. Is that right? 
Yeah, a lot of people that I talk to, and Jeff's probably got in the same boat, they, they buy in a lot of supplement to help balance diets. And they do that because there's an imbalance in grass. So the whole theory around fertilizing your grass, little and often of every balanced nutrient, MPKS and other micronutrients, is all around balance. So basically what goes in, what come out. So if you only put nitrogen in, you're only going to get wet, sappy, nitrogen-laden grass going into your cows, which you need to feed other supplements to balance it. If you actually just grow a balanced pasture, one, the cows will be a lot more healthier, they'll produce a lot more milk, and you won't need anywhere near the supplement. Mm. Yeah. So and that comes back to what you were saying earlier, Jeff, about um, uh, you know you can still grow the same amount of grass basically if you're dropping down that end, but you're just boosting it up with other products and your NPKSs, all those sorts of things. Yeah, so you don't need to necessarily be growing tons and tons of grass. If you're making, uh, if you compare it to um, going and eating McDonald's as such over Subway, you're going to stay fuller for longer if you're having Subway over McDonald's. Um, if you're making that grass have more in it, that's going to keep you fuller for longer and help you produce more, um, keep your cow healthier. And so we're talking, we're talking about the age-old adage of, of quality versus quantity, aren't we? Yeah, it's, it's, we've, we've been treating ourselves like that. We all know it subconsciously for ourselves, but we feed our cows McDonald's every day. And it's the same old thing that in the dairy sector, especially when I was farming, it's one thing that annoyed me quite a bit is we did the same as what we did last year. And then we fixed the problem by jabbing cows, putting a supplement in, doing this, doing that. Um, personally, myself, once we got down the road of understanding how liquids worked and understanding we could put little and often of everything on, everything become balanced. We jab cows way less, we lower empty rates, less lame cows, more peak milk production, longer days in milk. Mm. Um, and that was all come back to a balance of, it was a balanced feed going in. So you get a balanced cow and, and good milk production, meat production out of them. So, But what Jeff's doing with his balance, balancing up his MPK and S and doing little and often, all his clients are seeing exactly the same results as what everyone else around the country doing it sees. Trying to get a mixed pasture, some good clover, yep. uh, all, all adds to and, and different grass types and that's sort of like getting, getting the right nutrients and right grasses at the right time of year. Yeah, just making sure that diet and even plantain or chicories and that in some of them as well. Just so as far as the the foliar application goes, you you don't see that slowing down. You think that the the foliar really is sort of the way to go in terms of growth of farming generally. I think in ten years' time, you won't see a granular truck. To be fair, yeah, yeah. Um, you might see them still for the old school farmers that are just throwing on the maintenance bit, and that'll be about all you see them for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the way of the future to me is uh, if you start looking at one, the animal health uh, and dietary requirements and that for an animal and looking at the way that what the cow eats the most of and putting those there makes more sense than the thing that they eat the most, which is the grass. Um, and then uh, to looking at your soil because the land's not worth much if we haven't got a healthy soil because you can't grow a heck of a lot without it um, so looking at the soil helping benefit the soil so that it can basically feed itself um, and yeah we basically then only just doing small amounts to top it up all the time
Yep. And and giving the grass what it needs when it needs it, as opposed to just dumping it on and expecting it to use it all. Yeah, that's yeah, one of those things. Like you do blood tests for a cow to find out what they need in their diet. We do a soil test, herbage test, and soil test and herbage test because soil tells us what's in the soil, not necessarily what's getting into the plant. We need to test the plant to see what is in the plant to feed the cow. Because if if it's in the soil, it might not necessarily be uptaken into the plant. So we make sure that's in the leaf, so we know that the cow's getting it, and then we can make adjustments from there to, if the, if it is in the soil and it's not getting into the leaf, we, there's an imbalance there somehow, and we fix that problem so that it is uptaken into the leaf. So if you're fixing that problem, then you are doing that throughout your process of working with the farmers all the way along. You're not just being told what to put on and putting it on, you're, you're going actively managing, if you like, what's happening on their farm as you go. For the ones that want the help, yeah, the farmers are themselves, they like doing things their own way and that's fine with us too, yeah. we'll let them create their own path and that's, that's a journey for them to figure out for themselves as well, but we're always here to help out, give a bit of advice or if they want any, if they've got any questions to what other people were doing or something like that as well, we can always spread our knowledge of um, what we are seeing over a broader range of the countryside. Absolutely. So do you find that it's a bit of a mindset change that you're trying to teach the farmer? That is quite a struggle that I come up against sometimes is the farmer having to have a bit of a mindset change about what his approach is and why his approach is like that? Yeah, it is definitely a mindset change. It's it's they've been doing it for so long in a certain way they're like oh yeah we've been doing it this way but it is a mindset for them but once you get into well with the farmers that we've got so far once you get them into oh yeah we're we're going to do it uh, this way now once they actually get into the rhythm of doing that they generally don't mind too much it's actually can be easier um or there might be a couple of things that are a bit harder, but there are ways of making them just as easy as a granular truck or a granular spreader. Um, it's basically just them putting in their paddock numbers or sending their precision farming thing to it. Um, we take care of everything else if that's what they want us to do. With a, with a transport, we make sure the fert's there, the different products that they're needing or wanting are carted to farm and all organised by us. Um, so it is just a matter of getting them to put in any order once or twice a week, um, which is exactly the same as what they're doing now. What about the replacement side of things? And yeah, you're running uh, obviously GPSs in your in your tractors and things. You talk to that a little bit. Yep. So with a tractor, we can be even more accurate. We're uh, track map placement, so we can run through any precision farming system, um, Hawkeye balance, my balance, track map themselves or um, precision farming, all of that all comes through there and all gets back, sent back to whatever precision application they've got but also all of our all of our tractors or our main tractors have the um, auto steer as well so they're getting dead straight lines up and down paddocks to make sure that that, that placement is 100% accurate. If anyone listening to this and uh, is in this area, um, I mean, this is your chance to plug JT Ag Services, I guess. Um, yeah, well, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, best way to get hold of me is on my cell phone, which is 021 024 
All right, there you go. So um, do you want to repeat that one more time for us, Jeff, so people can write that down? 021 024 or even visit our Facebook page and you'll have my details or email on there. Where do you see this sort of going for you and your Tarnfurt and JT Ag services, Jeff? What, what's, um, I mean, how, how big is the business development plan, if you like? Yeah, we'll just keep trying to grow and grow as long as I can handle it, I suppose. And um, oh, that I suppose you try and find staff to fill in gaps, don't you? Um, and hopefully keep our long terms uh, our staff that we've got will develop our staff to take on those management roles later on to to help control and give the customers the best service we can offer. All right. Well, look, very good. Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate your time today, and um, yeah, enjoyed the enjoyed the chat. Um, and yeah, we'll look forward to getting this out there and uh, you know getting some feedback for you. But um, in the meantime, thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed this uh, this little chat with one of our contractors down here in Ashburton, New Zealand. Um, thanks to Jeff. Thanks to Mike. And uh, over and out. Thank you, Jolene, and thank you, Mike.